What up, all you beautiful Misfits and Rejects out there? Thank you for joining me for episode 174 of Misfits and Rejects. In today's episode, I spoke with Debbie Arc Angelis. She is the host of the Offbeat Life podcast, as well as howtocreatepodcast.com. Debbie advocates if you're going to go after your passions and hobbies in life, it is important that you monetize them quickly, because if you don't, they are just hobbies. Throughout the episode, we talk about how she's monetized her podcast, how she's monetized her website, how she monetized her Instagram, and how she takes that approach with everything she starts to create online. How am I going to monetize this as fast as I can? Because again, if you're not making money with it, it's just a hobby. If you're a first-time listener, please pull out that phone and hit the subscribe button. And if you like this episode, Debbie and I sure would appreciate it if you shared it with a friend. I highly recommend you go check Debbie out at the Offbeat Life Podcast. Or if you are interested in starting a podcast, you can reach out to her at howtocreatepodcast.com. So please sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode with Debbie Arcangelis. Welcome to Misfits and Rejects, a podcast about the lifestyle design of expatriates, travelers, entrepreneurs, and adventurers. I'm your host, Chapin Cruder. Enjoy. I didn't fit in America. With cocaine, there's just always too many guns and too many bad attitudes. I quit the limiting stories. Really try to overcome that fear. And right there, for any of your listeners, a lot of what I was to do in the rest of my life was formulated by the fact I just went and did it. Welcome to another episode of Misfits and Rejects. Today I'm joined by Debbie Arcangeles from the Offbeat Life podcast. Debbie, welcome to the show. So happy to have you. Thank you so much, Chapin, for having me. Yes, man. It's been really cool to uh, get to know you a little bit. I just jumped on your podcast. Now you're here with me. And hearing your story is super inspirational. I mean, an immigrant coming from the Philippines and developing and designing the life that you have for yourself is something that I think is is important for the audience to hear, especially the American audience right now with Trump and doing all this craziness with immigration laws and everything like that. And um can you tell us a little bit about your story, you know, where you came from in the Philippines, how you got to the States, what, you know, what was that like for you? Yeah, absolutely. So it's been a pretty wild and crazy ride for me. So like you said, I immigrated from the Philippines. I came here when I was about eight years old, but, I'm, you know, part of my childhood, childhood was in a tiny little island in the Philippines where most people have not heard of it. I know that for a fact because a lot of people have gone there and they don't know where that place is. It's in copies. And yeah, I was living in areas where it wasn't, you know, like if you've ever seen those late night shows where they ask you to help people and there's like shacks, that's pretty much around the area that I lived in. And we were fortunate enough for our family to be able to immigrate to the United States. My mom's family was able to find jobs in the U.S. So when I was around two years old, my mom left me and I was still a little toddler. And I didn't see her until I was about four or five. Um, and yeah, so that was our childhood. It was pretty, you know, rough the first few years. And then it started getting better when I was around uh, seven or eight because we started getting more income in. But I also lost a parent. And yeah, and then I came to the United States, obviously worked really hard like most immigrants do, most people do. And um, my parents wanted me to obviously become a nurse because that's 
what most Filipinos want their children to be. And I was a rebel and I didn't want to do that. And I tried a bunch of different things in my 20s. I was a photojournalist. I was a gallery manager in the um, in New York City. I was an art teacher. Oh my goodness, I don't even know what else. I started and failed two or three businesses before I got to where I am today. <laughs> it's such a cool story. What were those businesses you started that didn't work out for you? So one of them was for a pr- promotional product business. So anything that people, well, people call it tchotchkes, you know, like mugs and pens and t-shirts, all of those products where you can put a logo in. Um, my fiance and I started that and it didn't work out. Um, and then I had another business where I did classes for children. Um, and that was great, but it didn't make any money. Uh, people were coming in, but the space was just so expensive that I ended up just pretty much paying for it and not getting anything home. Um, And another one was like an online store that I had. It was a jewelry store and it just didn't work out as well. So a lot of failures, but I'm glad I did all of that though. (laughs) Absolutely. When, you know, you came from the Philippines to the States, it sounds like you probably weren't traveling that much to give you that sort of lust for travel that I know you have now, which kind of, I think, you know, from what I know about you, you got into photojournalism to kind of allow you to be on the road, traveling, taking photographs. I mean, how did that initial spark happen? What made you realize like you wanted to be out as a photojournalist? So my dad was actually in the Merchant Marines. He traveled a lot when I was younger, but he stopped when my mom went to the United States. So he actually just kind of stopped his life, stopped his career to take care of me full time so that my mom could work. Um, And then when we came back, uh, when we came to the United States, he started up in that job again. And I just saw him sending me all of these like pictures of him in places all over the world. And I'm like my dad's, um, I'm his mini me. So I wanted to be just like him. I wanted to see the world. I wanted to see what he was seeing. So when I was 16, my parents wanted to give me a sweet 16 party. And I said, I'd rather take that money and travel with it. I don't want a one night of party. I want a whole week or two weeks of seeing something new. And that's really what sparked everything. I went to Paris with my two best friends. And after that, it just hit me and the the travel bug started. Wait, you went, your parents sent you at 16 to Paris by yourself with two best friends? Yes, yes. It was with a school, though. So my parents, you know, they're Asian. So they definitely would not have been like, yes, go ahead by yourself with two of your friends. (laughs) That's so cool. What about Paris did you find so alluring and enchanting and and making you want to like to sign your life on the road? So I'm definitely just like you, Chapin. I love people watching. And I really like to just step back and really take in my environment. So whether it was the food that I was eating, the people that I was hearing, the different languages that I was listening to, the way they walked, the way they looked and smelled, like it was just really incredible for me to see all of this and also see things that I saw in books and now I'm here in real life experiencing, experiencing something that was truly magical. I mean, just seeing the Eiffel Tower was 
immense. That was a huge thing for me because you see that everywhere, right? All over movies and books. And then to see that live and in person was just really magical. With uh, you choosing the photojournalistic path, was it the photography that really motivated you and you're passionate about, or was it the road or was it a balance of both? I definitely think it was a balance of both. So one of my main subjects were children. Um, and I worked with a lot of NGOs and I worked with indigenous peoples and indigenous groups. So I knew what it was like to struggle and to live in pretty much poverty. So I wanted to really create something from that and just to give them more of a story behind it. I never used to like all of those. I know I talked about the late, late shows where you see those people asking for money and I never really liked that. So I wanted to make it more human and I wanted to really see what plight they were um, experiencing and then putting that in through um, images. So that's really what got me to do it and also helping, of course. No, that's really interesting, especially with your background and, you know, living on that very small island in the Philippines and you being able to probably relate to a lot of these children's upbringings and lifestyles, you know, with your photography and you going and working with these NGOs, was that then being what posted on the websites or like, was that being put in magazines? Like, how were you generating income from your photos? Were you selling them to these people? Yeah, so they would usually put it on their websites or their magazines, um, and that's really to help them build um, credibility and also donations from whatever they were trying to do. Most of the time, it was because a typhoon hit or something Mother Nature uh, did that, you know, that happened. And I would go there and we would showcase like what happened to their homes. Um, and then aside from that, I also did photos for myself. And then I was showing in galleries in New York City. And I worked with um, a bunch of NGOs in South America and Asia. And we were showing it in galleries in, in those countries as well. Incredible. Do you think that your, um, your, your passion for photography ever became something that was not your passion because you made it your job. I think this is something that I found for myself as I started making like my passions, my job, I started losing the passion for them. Did you find that with your photography? Oh, absolutely. Um, the last time I had a show was, so I told myself, listen, Debbie, your main goal is to work with the United Nations. And that was my main goal. I was like, once I hit this, then that's it. And I did. They invited me to do the show. I was in China. It was incredible. And then I realized, wow, I don't feel like doing this anymore. So after that show, after I had this amazing experience with them, I actually didn't touch my camera for like two or three years after that. I just didn't want anything to do with it. I felt like I really accomplished my goal and I needed to step back and really reevaluate what I wanted to do with my life aside from that, because it wasn't giving me um, what I needed anymore. Wow. What a huge accomplishment. Can you take us through a few of those steps that you, you use to get and achieve your goal was taking photographs for the UN? Yeah, it was just a lot of hard work. It was a lot of hustle and also networking. So the reason why I got that, um, that work and I was approached was because somebody knew me from my previous work 
and they recommended me and then they looked at my work and that's how it all became. So it's just in this type of industry, it's really about putting yourself out there and making your work known and what you're doing, right? It's like with anything else, if you have a niche, people will understand that and then they will go to you for that specific niche. So that's really how I got to that point. And it was just a lot of hustle and work. And a lot of times you're not paid, especially in the photojournalistic sphere of this. It's not the popular thing anymore. A lot of that stuff is that's popular right now is like lifestyle, photography. Um, so it's not a popular <laughs> way to make money anymore. Yeah, that was gonna be my next question, because it is such a popular thing for, I think, photography enthusiasts to be like, I'm gonna hit the road, I'm gonna use my photography, my passion as a way to make money. And they get out there and every single person has a camera trying to do the same thing. Very competitive space. Do you think there is still a way for someone to make money? And if there is, like, what kind of advice would you give them and approach could they take to like, be that person who can sustain themselves through photography on the road? I definitely think you can make money as a photographer on the road. I do that now. I work with a lot of clients that ask me to do phot uh, photography for them. But it just depends on what they want, right? So if you're gung-ho about being a photojournalist, but no one's paying you that, you have to pivot and make things happen because sometimes you need food on that table to to keep going. So right now it's a lot of lifestyle and travel stuff. And um, it's just understanding what the market really wants from you. And obviously don't stop doing what you love. Um, but you definitely also need to understand that there's certain things that you need to do in order to keep going, in order to sustain your passions, right? Because at the end of the day, it doesn't become a business until you make money. It's just a hobby. <laughs> that's such good advice. But that's interesting. So you still have that kind of prong within your business repertoire to like, you know, make some money. So people contact you, say, I want you to come what shoot my hotel, my hostel and the people that are at it. And then, then they pay you for that. Can you just kind of go in a little bit more detail about how you make money with that? Yeah, absolutely. So I talk to a lot of people about monetizing specific things, especially creatives. For example, for my podcast, a lot of podcasters are very one, um, one, they just are in one mode, right? How do I monetize my podcast? How can I do this? And I always tell them, don't just focus on one thing that you can monetize, right? You need to look at your, um, your experiences, what you're good at and monetize everything that's in, um, everything possible. So whether you're adding in photography, social media, blog post, obviously your podcast, you have to add everything in. So I think as a creative, we can do so many different things, but we are um, really narrow-minded in a lot of ways because we're super focused. And this definitely happened to me in the beginning because I was like, oh my God, no, I'm not going to make money with that because this is what I love. This is what I'm going to do. And then I soon realized, yes, I do love this, but I also need to make money. So it, there has to be a balance between doing your passion and also creating income from it and other ways to, to monetize. No, it's super good advice. And I'd like to dig a little deeper on the, you know, the various ways that you can see people making money through their podcast. You know, you mentioned, um, 
everyone wants starts a podcast being like, how do I monetize? And you said, you have to monetize everything. So within that podcast, like format, like say my podcast, what should I be looking at to monetize within that podcast? Yeah. So it depends on what you have right now. So obviously I tell people to get on platforms, right? As many as you can, but not too much that you're going to be overwhelmed. So for me, so I'm not exactly sure what you have, Chapin. So um, using me as an example, I have a website that I have and I monetize that through ads, ad revenues. Um, Anything from links that I put up there is paid. Anything from blog posts are paid. Um, I don't even do any ads yet on there. um, And I will be doing that soon. So that's another way you can do it. And then obviously there's affiliate marketing that you could do for your website. And then now the next thing you have is your social media posts that you have there is also monet you could be monetizing it your podcast obviously you can monetize it right so every single thing you can think of that you're creating i'm not doing anything right now for free just so later on it's just oh well you know this is this is great like i everything that i'm doing has a purpose to it so all the hard work that you have right now is going to work out later on and it's going to help you whether it's to create another business or to monetize as well. So it's just thinking out of the box. And I think, um, especially as creatives, we definitely need to do more of that. Yeah, 100%. Let's dive a little bit more into your podcast because it's really cool. It's similar to mine. You know, you're inspiring people through stories about, you know, the lifestyle design, digital nomads, how they're making money. And then you also kind of mentor the creatives who are struggling with the monetization of their creative projects, right? You want to talk us to my audience about the Offbeat Life podcast and the different things that you have going on within that? Yeah, absolutely. So my podcast is called The Offbeat Life, and I also have my website, and um, specifically I'm on Instagram, it's all The Offbeat Life. And I started this really for me, because I didn't even know I could monetize it. And you know, I mentioned before, I wasn't that type of person as a creative, I was just like, I'm just going to create stuff and hopefully it makes something. Um, So I really was unhappy with where I was in my nine to five. And I knew I needed to get back into the creative space. And I wanted to speak to people who were digital nomads, who were remote entrepreneurs. And I met so many of them when I was traveling that I just started to contact them. And um, my fiance at the time was really into podcasting. He was like, you should check this out because he knew I didn't want to really write about um, travel at that time. And I was growing an audience through Instagram and people were asking me to do that. And I was like, that's not really what I'm interested in. So yeah, it just started as a hobby for me because I needed inspiration for, from people. And then six months later, this is actually how I found out that I could make income from this. Um, around the same time, two brands reached out to me to pay me to to put an ad on the podcast. So I was like, oh my gosh, I can make money from this. Um, so that's how it started. And I've spoken to over 100 digital nomads, remote entrepreneurs, and just really giving people inspiration and how they can do it too. And how it's not as hard as you think. If you take out the word remote, it's still work. Um, but you can just do it anywhere. And, and then I added on, um, slowly added on information onto the website of how people can 
do remote work, how they can find online jobs and really make it into a place where they have the resources. And I'm still definitely building that up. And I recently also created a website called howtocreatepodcast.com. And I have gotten so many people to come to me and be like, how do you create a web? I mean, how do you create a podcast? How do you grow it? How do you monetize it? So I was getting tired of answering them one by one. And I was just like, well, at some point I had to get paid for this. So that's actually how it started because it was um, demanded from from a few people. So that's what I have. And I'm actually launching an ebook soon called How to Create a Profitable Podcast as well with all of that tips and tricks that I have. It's so cool. I looked at one of your articles. It was like the 12 remote jobs for introverts or like something like that. Was yeah. that it? What, yeah. what kind of jobs fall into that category for an introvert person like myself? Anything that you don't have to talk to too many people, right? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Can you give us one example though? Just because I'm curious as to one, which one would Yeah, absolutely. I don't have the list on top of my head, but definitely a lot of that stuff is um, one thing that um, would be really good for introverts. It's like transcriptions. So you don't have, you have minimal um, ways of talking to people. They just give you a recording of something. So for example, for this podcast, they give you the recording and someone transcribes this uh, audio for them so they can put it on their website. So that's one of the ways you could do that. Very good. That's very creative. With all the, you know, 100 people that you've interviewed plus, is there a common like remote job that you find within like the stream of people that you have coming through your podcast? Or is everyone just super different, super unique, unique niches that um, keeps them location independent? Well, everybody's story is definitely different, but one of the ways that most people start out their journey is the e- one of the easiest ways, and I think you mentioned this on my podcast too, Chapin, is uh, teaching English online. I think that's the easiest way for a lot of people to tap into because you don't need a teaching degree uh, to do it, and the pay is uh, l- relatively high for online work. So that's definitely one of the things that people are really interested in doing. Another one is virtual assistance. And right now, especially since there's so many people who have remote um, remote businesses, they all need virtual assistance. I have one. I know a lot of my friends who are in this industry are in this industry have one. So it's definitely an in-demand type work. Where is your virtual assistant located right now as we speak? So my virtual assistant is in the Philippines. So I hired someone from my country because I thought I should. <laughs> but it's also cheaper and he's awesome. And then I, I have a few other assistants doing um, other uh, tasks for me as well. That's so interesting. Do you, I'm assuming you speak, was it Tagalog or Tagalog? Is that how you say the language? Tagalog. Yeah, I yeah. am fluent in Tagalog and also um, Ilongo, but we do speak in English. Um, shout out to Mark. He's awesome. Uh, but we do speak in English together. So you don't need to speak Tagalog to have virtual assistance in the Philippines because pretty much everybody speaks English there. How did you vet him? Like, How did you know that he was the right fit for what you needed? 
Oh, I do an extensive interview process. I don't just willy-nilly hire someone. I need to know that they are going to do what they're supposed to do. So I've actually created a process and it was hard in the beginning because like most people, um, it's hard, especially when they're not face-to-face, but thank goodness for Skype um, or, or Zoom where you can see them in person. And then I give them tasks beforehand. I ask them, questions and things like that. And there's, uh, you know, several interviews that I actually do before I, I do hire them because I need to trust. Yeah. Of, yeah, of course. Do you have them do like writing tests to make sure that they can, since he's answering emails for you, because I have corresponded with them. Do you have them like make sure you make sure that they can spell correctly or they're using correct grammar before you say like, okay, that's okay. You, you've, you've passed that section of this application process. So for me, I'm not that thorough. I wish I was. I wish I had the time. But for me, honestly, it's how they handle certain situations and how they ask for help and how they're willing to learn. Um, I've had um, assistance before in my other businesses where they knew nothing and maybe they needed a little bit of work, but they worked really hard and they were willing to learn and they learned really fast. So for me, that's more important. Um, than anything else. And also someone who's going to stick around, right? Because I don't want to put all of this time and energy on you. Um, and then you you up and leave. So that's also really important. Now, do you have like a set amount of hours per week he has to work? Um, is it full time? Or is it just like, okay, I need five hours from you per week? So yeah, absolutely. So there's um, a set amount of time that he does. Um, I pay him a a certain amount a month. And for me, as long as he gets those jobs done every week, I don't care how long he spends on them as long as he's doing them um, properly and um, on time. Nice, nice. Transitioning into more of your personal life, if uh, if we can, you know, you and your fiance are travelers i mean is he as passionate about this like digital nomad thing as you are like what does he do (laughs) so he's definitely not like me he's he's more i i okay so i have to say i also am a homebody because honestly i live in new york and i don't like to get out too much um (laughs) i'm always on my couch or on my desk working um he's he's definitely not as um a nomadic as I am for sure, but he goes along with it. Let's just say that. So he's a therapist and he, um, we also do, um, real estate business and he's a investor. So he's planning to transition out of his therapy work and then doing, uh, remote investing in the next year. So that's what another thing that we actually do is real estate investments as well. <laughs> I love it. You know, he could be a remote therapist though. Like there's, you know, FaceTime, Skype, like yeah. you can definitely take that on the road. <laughs> I don't think he does though. I think he's more um, passionate about real estate. So we've definitely talked about that because I also did the same job. That was my uh, day job before was therapy as well. And yeah. Wow. You are quite experienced in a lot of fields. I mean, it sounds like very self-motivated with the focus of um, monetizing every aspect of what you do, which I have mad respect for. You know, if I think that approach is super important for people out there, creatives, entrepreneurs to like really look at their business as something that every aspect can be monetized if you do it in a creative way, which 
I mean, you're the, actually the first person I've interviewed who I think approaches it with that kind of same vigor and desire. It's really cool to hear. Well, I learned from a lot, right? I failed three businesses where I was just like, well, I'm just creating this because it's awesome and I love creating. Yeah, man. Um, and it was a long time. And I realized if I want to continue doing what I love, I need to make money from it because then I'm going to have to go back doing something that I don't. So that was really a huge thing that I understood and learned is that I don't want to do something that I hate, but if I'm going to continue this, I need to make money from it. So that's when everything switched. I love it. How much traffic do you get to your, how much traffic do you drive to your site per day? So I believe it's, it's not a lot. It's close to like 10 K a month. So, which is not anything big, but if it's monetizing, you don't need a ton, right? Um, And I think that's another thing that a lot of people have um, misconception is that unless I'm creating income from ads, like um, ad revenue, then it's a huge deal for that. But if I'm creating revenue through monetization by like digital products, so it's a totally different ball game for that. I'm actually trying to get to a point where I'm adding another income stream through the ad. So I'm trying to do the SEO and all of that stuff. And I've started doing that as well. That's great. Do you outsource a lot of that as well to virtual assistants or are you actually doing that yourself? Like SEO, for example. So the SEO, my virtual assistant does a little bit of that, um, but I am really interested. So what I usually do, one of uh, the things that I do is before I hand it out, um, if I'm interested in that, I usually do the work myself for a little while so I can be really knowledgeable in it. So right now, my um, virtual assistant helps me with SEO and I do a lot of that as well. But I do outsource um, some of the writing. Um, And I'll write like one article and I'll have someone write one or two articles a month for me. Um, But then I do the keywords and all of that stuff myself. And then they do the rest of it. So that's, that's really how I've been doing the website. That's really cool. What was the last trip that you and your um, fiance took together? Where'd you go? So we were just in the Dominican Republic like two weeks ago, actually, for an actual vacation. Chavin, I don't know how long it's been since I've actually traveled for vacation. So that was kind of weird. <laughs> Usually I travel for work a lot. So that was a, a weird experience not to be. Well, it was not really cool because I can't really stop not working. So it was still a little bit of work there, but... <laughs> Is that a place that you like desire to go to or was it just convenient because it's a quick flight from New York? Well, he doesn't usually, um, he has the same types of vacation as like the school system does. So we needed something that was around Thanksgiving here in the U.S. And that was the cheapest play out of the U.S. that I found was in DR. So I don't really care where it is as long as it's <laughs> affordable. <laughs> no, fair enough. I'm the same. When you were doing your photojournalism and you know traveling to all these countries, taking photographs of the kids, was there a, a spot in the world that you felt most connected to and, and would like to go back to and revisit? Yeah, there's a lot of different places. And I think most of that was the people and not necessarily the place. Um, to tell you the truth, because I travel a lot for work now and I 
I get really bombarded by the work that I'm doing. I'm not um, interacting as much as I did when I was in photo, uh, doing photojournalism. So I can just tell you, to be honest, everything's starting to look the same. And it's traveling for me is not the same anymore. And I think I need to go back to how I used to travel. But the one place that really stood out for me um, was in Sinai in Egypt. Um, and it was a really incredible spot because around the time that I went there, it was just after the revolution in Egypt and nobody wanted to go there. There was absolutely no tourists. And if there were tourists, it was in like very quote unquote uh, safe areas. So I was supposed to go to Palestine at that time, but then there was a bombing in, um, in the area. So I couldn't go. So I had to find another thing to photograph. Um, and I just ended up uh, going to Sinai and I had the most incredible time there. Um, they were saying that there was like a huge thing happening there. Nobody should go there. I was literally in the mountains with um, so many people. And they were probably one of the most incredible people I've ever met in my travels. And I still remember it to this day. Just beautiful people, beautiful hearted and um so many women that didn't even know English and I didn't know their language and we were just speaking through hand gestures. Uh, yeah, so still to this day, that's probably one of the best um, experience that I've had travel-wise. That's really cool. As a female traveler, and it sounds like, I mean, were you solo when you were in Sinai? No. So this is why I tell you, my fiancé was with me actually during this um during this gig because we were visiting my family in Israel. And then after that, I was supposed to go to Palestine um, to do an assignment and I couldn't go. So he was like, well, I don't feel comfortable with you going alone because at that time it was really bad. It was just a lot of things happening. So he, he's pretty good. He was like, Oh my gosh, I can't let you go by yourself. Um, so that's how it happened. And we were by ourselves. Um, just the two of us. Uh, and it was pretty, okay, it was pretty scary in the beginning, because we were literally in the middle of nowhere in the mountains, there was no other tourists there. And then it was all and it was all males. Uh, the women were like up in the mountains. So it was me, my fiance and all of the males. <laughs> and I was like, Oh, my gosh, this is a bit weird. And um, we met up our our contact there. And then after like 10 minutes of speaking to them, it was just like they were family. So, yeah. <laughs> That's a really cool story. And I think uh, common amongst people who, you know, take those adventures, you know, obviously do, you know, American media and a lot of the sensationalization of events around the world that happens, they, people f have this fear of the outside world. And then when you push through that fear, like you guys did and get into this remote village in you know, Egypt and you meet the people and you're apprehensive, but quickly realize they're human beings as well, just interested in you wanting to take care and show you their culture. It, you know, you realize that maybe a lot of the fears that we have about the world are unfounded. Um, can you relate to that? Do you think that is an accurate sort of assessment of traveling the world and maybe, you know, give some advice to single female travelers out there? Do you feel like it's unsafe for single females to travel or do you think it, it's fine? Oh, I absolutely think that it's definitely safe as long as you use your common sense. Obviously, you still have to look out for certain things. And I think as females, we have really good instincts. 
And you really have to trust that. So I've traveled by myself a lot too. And I used to take a month every year and I would just go off on my own and travel. And I find that the people are actually more inclined to include you to things, especially as a single female, because they see you're alone. They want to actually take care of you. Um, And I found it to have been a really great experience. I have really close friends that travel alone by themselves and they're all females. And it's very rare for you to experience something um, bad. And I would just say that when we were actually in Egypt, um, we were watching the U.S. news at the time and the actual place we were in, they were saying that it's really a madhouse and it was really dangerous. And my fiance and I looked at each other, we were like, it's so quiet here. There's nothing happening. What the hell are they talking about? And then um, right now there's a huge scare actually of people going to uh, going to the Dominican Republic because apparently there's, um, well, not apparently, there has been some people getting abducted and killed. So that's honestly why those plane tickets to DR was so inexpensive during the holidays, um, during Thanksgiving was because of that. But I Usually, I like to see things with my own eyes before I make a judgment of anything. Oh, wow. That's such great advice. And I'm so happy you're articulating it in this way because I totally agree. And I find, you know, coming back from being on the ground in a place like, we'll say, you'll use Dominican Republic as an example. I still encounter people who have never been there who are sitting there telling me how dangerous it is (laughs) and how could I have thought and even considered to go there when it's so dangerous because they saw something on the media of somebody getting (laughs) abducted. And it's the weirdest thing because I'm sitting there saying I was just there. It's not like that. This was an isolated experience that the media just grabbed onto and blew up. And it's just, they don't believe me. They're just like, no, you're wrong. (laughs) Like, it's like, it's so bizarre. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. I mean, if you do believe in that, then no one should come to New York because, you know, people get killed here every single day, like probably, you know, hundreds of them, right? Um, Which is really crazy. So we were also, when before we went to DR, we were really warned about driving there, right? So of course, we're usually like, we don't, we take things with a grain of salt, as they say. Um, And we kind of like to experience things. So we ended up uh, renting a car and driving and it, uh, okay. So honestly, DR has some of the best roads I've ever driven in. It is so smooth. It's amazing. And the only time that there you had to do like defensive driving was in Santo Domingo. So that was a little crazy, but if you're a defensive driver, like you'll be fine. But I actually really love Santo Domingo. It's a really great place with a ton of history. So. No, again, just, I love it. You just, I feel like you're reinforcing everything I'm always talking about (laughs) through my podcast. Like the world is not as dangerous as you think. I mean, if yeah, yeah, you want to talk about danger, like talk about going to like South central LA or like New York or something like that, like that's dangerous, you know? And yeah, sure. Like you can get unlucky. It happens to everybody. Like things can happen, of course, but I think that the world is genuinely full of good people, kind people who want to help, who want to share their lives, their culture with you. So it's better to like face that fear, get out there and just try. And you quickly like those fears start to like dissolve away and you realize, wait, this is not scary at all. Like this is cool. Yeah. I think when you have that type of mindset, you attract it more. I think 
that's really when it happens most of the time. I could be wrong, but that's been my experience, you know. Um, and I've worked in the south of Bronx where when I was a therapist where there was literally a shooting in my building. <laughs> so going to places like DR and in the middle of nowhere in the mountains of Egypt, um, that seems like nothing compared to the things that I've experienced in certain places here in New York. And this is the United States, folks. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, this is awesome, Debbie. Thank you for joining me. Can you tell the audience um, where they can find you and you know what's the best way to contact you? Yeah, absolutely. So if you want to listen to my podcast and if you want to learn more about how you can work online, you can go to theoffbeatlife.com. That has all of the information there. If you're thinking about being a podcaster, if you have one and you want to learn how to monetize it, you can go to howtocreateapodcast.com. Awesome, Debbie. We appreciate you. Thank you for your time. Thank you so much, Chapin. It was really fun speaking with you. Awesome, Debbie. Thank you so much for your time. What a cool story. What an inspiration to me, especially with me still trying to figure out ways to monetize the various things I've created online. I really like that approach. Just try to figure out a way to monetize every value stream that you have created. Please remember, if you're a first-time listener, hit that subscribe button. I think you all are so very beautiful. I hope these episodes are inspiring you as much as they are inspiring me. And I look forward to seeing you next week's episode. Ciao. Thank you for listening to Misfits and Rejects. I hope this inspire you to think about your life situation, where you're at, and possibly make a big decision to choose something different for yourself if you're unhappy with where you're at in life. I hope these people that I interview inspire you to go out, spread your wings, and try something new, to live a different lifestyle that maybe your whole life people were telling you was the wrong one, but when in fact it's the perfect one for you. And I'll see you next time.